When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I'm Aaron Sagers, and this is Talking Strange. Hey there, spooky nerds, and welcome to Talking Strange, a paranormal pop culture show with the Den of Geek Network. As always, I'm your host, journalist, author, researcher of weird things, Aaron Sagers. You can also catch me on 28 Days Haunted on Netflix and Paranormal Caught on Camera on Travel Channel and the Max Streaming Service. And I'm excited about this book that we're going to be talking about today. It's Shook, a black horror anthology. For those of you that have uh, caught me at New York Comic Con at the Dark Horse Comics horror panel or have heard me talk about uh, attending to Comic-Con. I've already been talking about this book. We're we're lucky to have Rodney Barnes on that panel. And now I am surrounded by a bunch of other creators for this chat. So let me tell you about Shook, a Black Horror Anthology. It is in partnership with Second Sight Publishing and Dark Horse Comics and Second Sight. They're proud to present Shook with more than 190 pages of terrorizing material. The anthology is filled with stories from a range of of award-winning black writers and artists, and it is available January 31st. So let me go ahead and bring in my guests. First off, Bradley Gordon. He is the CEO of Second Sight Publishing, LLC, and he's worked for Antarctic Press, Caliber Comics, and Dark Horse Comics. He's a Glyph Comics Award nominee and Sequential Magazine Award-nominated writer for these damn kids. He is also co-creator and writer of Shook, a black horror anthology. We've got Marcus H. Roberts, who is the COO of Second Sight Publishing and an editor and a freelance writer slash comic creator. He's the editor for the 2022 Sequential Magazine Award nominated these damn kids, Athena, the Undying, and Victoria Black from Second Sight Publishing. And... He is also contributing to Shook. We've got Kevin Grievous, filmmaker of Howard at Howard University, co-creator of the Underworld franchise, I Frankenstein, and creator of the Blue Marvel character. Welcome, Kevin. John Jennings. John is a professor, author, graphic novelist, curator. Uh, he's a Harvard fellow, New York Times bestseller, 2018 Eisner winner and winner of the Hugo Award for his co-adaptation of Octavia E. Butler's dystopian novel, The Parable of the Sower. And we have Alvern Ball, who is an MFA of fiction writing from Columbia College in Chicago. He recently published Across the Tracks and an homage to Greenwood, Oklahoma, illustrated by Stacy Robinson. So thank you, gentlemen, all for joining me today. I appreciate it. And let us dive in. We've got a lot to cover. And, you know, I want to talk a little bit about each of your horror DNA. What kind of first got you into this 
genre, uh, whether it was a movie, it was a book, uh, a comic, whatever it may have been. So I'll go around uh, around the bend here. Uh, let's start with uh, Marcus up top. What What's your horror DNA look like? Uh, the very first horror comics I was exposed to was uh, Weird War Tales. Uh, from Weird War Tales, I kind of drifted into the black and white scene. I, I'm of a certain age where uh, comics like Eerie and Creepy yeah, Psycho, they were readily available. So diving into that and then bouncing over, I guess, with Marvel and their, that superhero line of horror, which featured like Brother Voodoo and Blade and The Living Mummy. Yeah, I and yeah, most certainly. I And I always, personally, I always liked it when we had the kind of the, the straight superhero characters that then got themselves into the horror scenarios, you know? And and quite honestly, you know, as a as a comic book nerd of a certain age, I'm a fan of uh, Cap Wolf. Just gonna say it. <laughs> so, and, and and Marcus, I see for you, you are definitely you're rocking the shook T-shirt for those that are watching this as a video episode. So this was a gift from my wife. <laughs> it's a good gift. I I would like one as well. <laughs> and Albert, uh, a T-shirt or a wife? <laughs> I I could use the t-shirt <laughs> Alvern, how about you what's uh what's some of your horror dna um for me it actually comes down to um i think young goodman brown is a short story um that really captured me as a young age but i think um in my older years it was um the movie seven seven has inspired a lot um in my writing especially as a screenwriter um it was one of the things that really captured me and what was it about the flick seven in particular that in particular that got you? Um, I don't know if it was Fincher's coloring in the film, but um, I really um, I watched the movie for so many times. I finally picked up the screenplay and started reading it, and it just I don't know. Reading um, the screenplay was is like a doorway into a whole new world for me. Yeah, and it just opened up and gave me permission to write some of the dark things that were in my head. I guess. Uh, John, how about you? Um, let's see. So, I was introduced to to horror from by my mother. You know, my mom is still a massive consumer of all things horror, <laughs> so I kind of lucked out. Um, she was an English major at uh, Alcorn State University and uh, was always a huge uh, fan of Edgar Allan Poe. So I started reading Poe at a very early age. I grew up in a very agrarian setting in Mississippi. You know came of age in the 80s and stuff. So like Marcus and and, and uh, Kevin uh, in particular, you know, I was reading stuff like, um, you know, creepy and eerie, but also looking at things like, you know, Dr. 13 and Tales from Unexpected and stuff like that. And then on the on the horror movie side, my mom and I would, walk, would watch a ton of horror movies, including a lot of stuff that I probably should not have been consuming <laughs> at the age I was. So I started in like the Gothic era and then I kind of like, segued into more like weird fiction and like cosmic horror actually so you know so stephen king clive barker um the, the movie that really impacted me the most though was phantasm oh okay yeah, it's a good one head up. i still don't understand what it's one. <laughs> but it's just like terrifying <laughs> it's it's a funny thing about moms when they like horror because my mom 
she denies this. And yet I have this sort of core memory of it kind of going around the corner when I was supposed to be in bed or whatever, and her watching uh, hammer horror movies. Mm-hmm. And she denies this. But I'm like, no, I have this image built, burned into my brain of, you know, like Christopher Lee. And I'm like, this isn't didn't come out of anywhere. So but she denies it. But uh, I, I swear that's where my horror gene was is, or seed was initially kind of like cultivated. Um, and Kevin, how about you? Um, you know, I started in horror pretty early. I was probably, you know, five or six years old. And I guess my first introduction to it, uh, and I'm a man of a certain age, and I used to like or watch um, that show called um, Barnabas Collins with Dark Shadows. Yeah, Dark Shadows. Right. Uh, you know, yeah, and that's how I started. And then, you know, I graduated to, you know, the Universal Monsters, you know, and even though Dark, Dark Shadows was based on it, I wasn't able to see the Universal Monsters until we moved to Boston. And it was a station called Channel 56, an old UFH station, a UHF station. And I used to watch all the horror stuff there. And uh, I became a real fan of it. And I've basically stayed in that arena pretty much ever since. Was there a horror movie host for that, that station? Uh, no, there was not. Um, the closest to a horror movie host that I'd ever heard of, which actually Zombo on the old monster monsters tv show and i was just a spoof on some of these you know hosts now i think after we left boston there was a host uh on creature features but um i never knew of him yeah and and uh bradley how about you well like others who was born in the 80s we had um Friday the 13th, Nightmare on M Street, Halloween, of course. But I also like like B movies like Shocker, um, the whole um house. Um and then, you know, I have Tales, Tales from the Crib and what whatnot. Um and then um there's a couple of other I don't I don't think they're they're horrible of sci fi, but there's a show you come on called The Outer Limits. Mm-hmm. Um, that's that's some something else that I used to watch a lot of and um and yeah the the combination of horror and sci-fi I mean that's just like I mean you guys um very much uh dip into that anyhow Bradley I I would say tasty itchy is like definitely you know that horror sci-fi element that you you conjure up in the shook anthology which I'll say man Right out of the gate. That's the first story, I think. And that story got to me because as a kid that grew up in Florida and, and now oddly lives in New York City, I have a thing about cockroaches. It is it's the one thing that comes close to like that that, you know, almost phobia heebie jeebies situation. So uh that story just yeah, it got to me right off the bat. So thanks for that. I appreciate it. <laughs> you will. But so uh, Bradley and Marcus as CEO and then um, COO of Second Sight Publishing, uh, talk to me a little bit about the origin story of Shook. How did this project come about? And also, why did you decide to really make it an anthology as opposed to, um, you know, d- doing just one standalone story? And uh, Bradley, why don't you pick start with that and then and then Marcus add to that, please. 
Okay. Oh. Ashley Marcus, I let you start this one. <laughs> you had more involvement than I did. <laughs> Way more. Well, uh, John and I and Bradley and I, you know, Bradley and I are friends. John and I are friends and as friends, we talk about what we like, just like we know our origin. So John is originally from the South, even though he lives there in California. And loving horror, like I love horror, uh, we connected on the movie Phantasm, actually. Phantasm was like, that was the most traumatizing movie of my childhood. I can still close my eyes and see the flying balls. So, <laughs> you know, having a, just having that connection and sharing the friendship, and he, he quickly became a person that when I wanted to know something, I could call him or ask him, shoot him a message, and he always had a good answer for me. So, you know, we developed a friendship, and we talked about creating some type of book to and he mentioned about a magazine that he was starting, uh, wanted to start entitled Shook. And, you know, we, he told me about that and it kind of died there. But uh, I met Kevin at a con. Kevin and I did a panel together. And uh, of course, I bought him all his accomplishments. And I told him one day we got to work together, man. And, and that super heavy voice said, you're just called. So I put a check on that. And then uh, Bradley and I were wanting to put together an anthology. We were already doing anthologies for Caliber Comics with uh, Mississippi Zombie, which we have three volumes of, and The Harvest of Horror, which we have three volumes of. But we wanted to do another one. And, and talking about doing that, and knowing that John wanted to do something, knowing that you know Kevin had already said, if you put it together, I'll work on it. Uh, actually even talking with Al Vern and Al Vern had signed on before he even knew what the project was. So <laughs> it started just talking with friends, but then it became more serious when uh, Bradley and I were talking and we were trying to come up with a name for the book. And we thought about the dream team. So we were like, you know what, we need to apply the same thing with this book that the dream team was for the Olympics. You know, we took the best people that we could find, the best people in our estimation that were out there writing comics, writing hard. And we put them all together on one team and put that team in this book. Uh, once I mentioned it again to John, John said, yeah, I definitely want to take part. And I asked him about the, the name for that magazine. Which was shook, and he said, "Yeah, let's let's do it. I don't want to see that name go to waste. Let's do it." And you have it there, shook. And yeah, we've got I think twelve stories, and it covers pretty much I would say so many different flavors of the horror genre. Was it? Did that just kind of come about organically, or was there in this kind of assembly of this dream team was there this awareness of like okay uh you know uh david uh would have been the guy that we want to get this kind of horror comedy out of and uh we knew that we we're gonna go we we need something that's sort of like a you know elder god almost lovecraftian vibe to it or you know like talk a little bit about 
the pieces that you guys pulled together. Um, is that Bradley, is that something that you would want to speak to? Yeah. Um, we really just let the um, creators do their own thing. No guidance whatsoever. Um, knowing me, me knowing Kevin and me knowing John, I, I kind of knew what they were going to bring to the table. What, what Kevin doing, you know, on Underworld, Frankenstein, and what, what not. Yeah, he had the, oh, shit, the dead something. He, he pretty much had the black vampire anti-gun that down a lot. You know, John, you know, he's deep characters, you know, with personalities and whatnot. Yeah, I kind of expected that from him, too. Uh, me, like Marcus said, the shock and awe guy. Um, I mean, I'm going all out, blood and guts and gore. That's my thing, you know. But but mainly, we just wanted the guys to bring their own flavor to it. So, John, your yeah. two stories that you contribute to this: we've got the breaks and then Lady of Rage, and these are two um, stories with a woman protagonist. And definitely two different kinds of vibes. We have some that one that's kind of like a near death story, and then one that's very much a a a great revenge epic kind of encapsulated in a couple pages. Now, were these stories that you already had kind of kicking around in your brain? Did they just was this something you were like, you know what? I've been waiting for a good medium for this and here it is or why these two yeah it's, it's more the latter actually so what's interesting about those two stories is that they're some of the two of the first stories that i ever wrote they actually had been on my my uh, desktop for a long time uh the breaks had been done for a while actually and, and i thought it was interesting because i was all like you said i was looking for a venue i was looking for a space that made sense to to publish them you know um, you know, I, I've always been interested in intersections between like black popular culture and horror. So, you know, that's why the, the breaks happened, you know, as was, you know, I have a deep interest in hip hop culture and also different factions of how people kind of view it as a, as a, as a medium, you know? And, um, so that particular story is not necessarily horror, but it also, but it deals with like the ennui of like letting the past go, you know, and, and that's kind of like what that, um, what that story is about, but also, you know, it speaks to the AIDS, AIDS crisis. And, <clears throat> and then of course, um, Lady of Rage is a, is an anti, uh, it's basically against um, violence against women, essentially. And so you're right. It is a revenge fantasy story. And, um, you know, it's something I'm very serious about as far as like how we treat not just women, but every, each other too. So um that one has some very particular, like almost not necessarily Lovecraft and different like weird fiction, you know, as far as like the strangeness of what happens to uh, the the main kind of antagonist, you know. So those that's where those came from, and uh, you know, working with Jarmel uh, on that I thought was really cool. I got a chance to work with like some new, uh, you know, inkers and colorists and stuff on that too to kind of get it was it was a really cool way to get like new new blood into uh the stories i think um, yeah and and a a compliment i would give uh, all about i think about all these stories and certainly applying to to these two john is that they each kind of feel like they would be 
episodes of the twilight zone you know like you definitely have that kind of i i, I hate to say twist because it's not really a twist but it's comeuppance it's yeah. uh you know universal a sense of universal just maybe that's good nor bad who knows but it's um so i i felt like that fit within that kind of that that vibe uh, kevin how about you talk to me a little bit about the story that you contributed to shook and and why this one you know for me i just like heroism and i've always wanted to create a you know my own words to hero <clears throat> you know the issue i had was just how to do that you know um and so i came out with uh with ezra you know um a character that originally appeared in um i frankenstein you know my screenplay but you know for whatever reason you know it was it was cut out and i said to myself you know what um this was a character i wanted to play yes this was a character I was going to play in the film, but you know, since uh, it did not happen that way, I decided to take that character and create a comic book universe, you know, around him, a monster universe around him and the things that he does. And so that was my inspiration for that really. And giving him a unique power set, I thought was very interesting. Uh, he is what we call a, a mimic, you know, or an emulate. And which means that, you know, in close proximity to monsters he touches or whatever, he can kind of mimic their powers that enables him to do battle with them on their level. And visually, it was a very striking um, visage that, you know, I kind of gave him, uh, given the fact that he didn't turn completely into uh, the type of monster that he was fighting, but rather, you know, um, acquired, you know, attributes, you know, similar attributes that, you know, you know, our film would look really, really cool, you know, but I think it also looks equally interesting, you know, on the comic book page as well. Yeah. And the, again, this kind of, I, I think speaks to the range of stories that we have here, because as much of a horror nerd as I am, I, I do love my superheroes. I love my, you know, those heroic characters. So having that, I think, fits within the the complete package of this. And I didn't know that he was a character that you had created for I Frankenstein. It definitely, it felt, the story feels very cinematic. So yeah. uh, that leaps off the off the page. Um, Al Vern, how about you, man? I, you know, your story, The Hill, <clears throat> I, I, I would almost classify it as this almost like folk horror in, you know, the American um, farmscape. It, I, I, I just really dug it, man. Like again, had a cinematic value to it, but talk a little bit about, about the hill and where the story came from and kind of what you were going for with it. Yeah. So the hill is an actual short story written by um, the writer Saki. And um, what I did was adapt it and, um, just made it just a little bit more modern than what than where it was actually set in. But um, I think Hill is is kind of like I feel like in some ways it's that companion piece to Young Goodman Brown. Um, I like the idea of or or even in suspense um uh, about the olden days. You know, before we had phones and computers, I feel like magic really existed in in you no know, and that idea of like you know when you think of any type of horror, it's usually um, set off and removed from the real world in some way, you know, where you can't just reach out and get help. 
So for me, um, the heel was that idea of of talking about you know um, people that farm or, or or that that what we call that lost culture of farming or you know agriculture and how that's still relatable. You know, when you think about children of the corn, it's set on a farm. You know, it still scares a lot of us uh, just to think about like if we got lost out in on farmlands, which isn't even wilderness. So for me. Um, it was just a story that um, I had been I had adapted a long time ago, and it just been sitting on my hard drive. And when Bradley and them said, "Okay, we, we're, we're doing this horror thing," I was like, "Oh my god, do I have a horror story?" Because I had just um, I had just written and published a a short horror western story. So I was like, "I think I'm out." And then all of a sudden, the hill popped up, and I was like, "You know what? I got something that nobody thought about doing." And I, and I sent it to Bradley and them, and they were like, "Yeah, we want to do this." <laughs> and I always like those stories where we have sort of the the savvy, intelligent, you know, person that is thrust into this world of superstition and magic who is the non-believer, but it ends up, you know, doesn't typically go so well when, when someone is warning you, you know, don't go, don't walk in the cornfields, don't do this thing, but you're like, <laughs> eh, uh, I'm going to go for it anyhow. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Bradley, your, I, I mentioned Tasty Itchy, which is this, post-apocalyptic horror sci-fi uh big bugs vampire story i, I dig it and, and the art is also just luscious on that it's really gorgeous but then you also have evil lives now in this i want you to talk a little bit about evil lives but i, I also my burning question is is there more to this, there to this more. universe there is more to it what i tried to do was um Evil Live, it's it's gonna continue in future volumes of Shook, but it also gonna branch out and be its own thing as as well. Um it's it's part of this horror universe that I had created prior to this when I worked with um Anonic Press and you know Mississippi Zombie with Kyle, but they're all in this one universe. With Evil Live, it's part of that universe. So it, it's definitely gonna branch out. It's gonna be in future um volumes of Shook. Um probably volume four and up. Um but uh it's it's, it's yeah, there'll definitely be more of it. Um for the story, um it's my version of I don't know if you know remember this movie called Red Dragon. Mm -hmm. it, it it's my version of that. Cutting clear. Okay. So we might be seeing more of these same characters carried throughout. Gotcha. And and just picking up on that, Bradley, you're confirming that there will we're gonna see more of the Shook anthology. Hopefully. Um we currently have volume two, which um funded Marcus um Colleen Douglas. Um so yeah, right after volume two, we're gonna get to working on volume three. Once I don't know the Kickstarter wars go out and whatnot. But yeah, there definitely would be more shook as long as me and Marcus breathe. <laughs> well, Marcus, uh, I, I'm looking at John drinking out of this TARDIS mug. But meanwhile, <laughs> your story of hell to pay, I, I don't want to give anything away because I, I did not see where this was going. and But it has a very Whovian Doctor Who element to it 
tell me, you know, share a little bit more about that story, but also this kind of a combination of time travel and horror and why that was such a compelling topic for you. Well, the uh, story original was a radio play that was written by Professor James E. Tokley, who is the former poet laureate of Hillsborough County. Uh, he was teaching at a small college and my niece was taking a class under him. And uh, one of the very first articles that I wrote for the World of Black Hero websites, my niece was so proud of it, she went and showed it to her teacher, Professor Tokley, and he actually did corrections on it. Like, So I was like, I got to meet this guy who just red pinned my stuff. And that's <laughs> how he and I met. And uh, he and talking with him and talking about his history, he told me about this radio play. And when he described the radio play to me, the yeah, I could see it so clearly that I told him that, you know, I, I need to make this vision. So that's the origins of the story. Now, the story in itself, and of course, you know, translating it from uh, the radio play, which written out was only about four pages to the 20 pages that I, that I produced, there were a lot of elements that I had to add in, but I kept it true to what the radio play was about, which was a scientist who wanted to go back in time to correct what they felt was a wrong that occurred or actually initiated one of the big moments in the civil rights move movement. So they built the time machine to go back and do this not knowing that in certain places, time travel is not permitted. So instead of traveling back in time, they actually travel to hell. And the story takes off from there. <laughs> it's, well, it's also this notion of like, there are certain moments fixed in time that you can't, go back and change um and i don't know i mean th this could be a whole other conversation about time travel and whether or not it should be done and what you know going back and killing baby hitler you know it's uh you know the the, the problems wrapped up with all that i won't i won't i won't go down that rabbit hole too much because we'll never get out of it but with all of these different stories well actually you know with this anthology there are so many like black creators and yet, and so many black creators within the comic book, you know, medium, but it seems like this still feels like such a special presentation as shook. I know it's not hitting the stands yet, but as you're kind of rolling this out to your friends and your colleagues and everything, is there any level of like, is it a, a level of surprise that you're encountering uh, that well, it's taken this long for this kind of anthology to come about? Is there, what kind of reactions are you getting just from your friends and colleagues? And anyone can jump in here if anybody wants to start. Um, I, I'll throw it to Kevin since I haven't heard from you for, for a couple minutes. Um, you know, the way I look at it, um, this was a very important, you know, book to do. 
uh, just given the fact that for so long, you know, we have not, you know, really embraced genre in our community. You know, <clears throat> it's mostly been about the effects that racism has, has wrought upon our people, uh, which I guess in a way, off kilter way, you can look at that as a horror story in and of itself. But, you know, specifically talking about genre is something that typically, you know, our people have not, you know, necessarily done to a great degree. So I think in looking at this assemblage of talent and doing the things that we're doing, I think it's important culturally, you know, and for the wider audience to say, hey, look, you know, we're, we can be involved in various things. Oh, yeah, I, it, it, most certainly. And and. Well, let me hear from someone else. John, how about you? Um, <clears throat> well, you know, I, I often want to try to get to this to the point where, you know, black creativity, black speculative fiction is just normalized. You know what I'm saying? Like, I really want to get to the first the point where there are no more firsts for for black Americans or for black folk in in the diaspora, you know, across the board. You know. And um, as Kevin's stating, I mean, there are there has been, I think, traditionally kind of, um, you know, for, for one for one reason or another, like looking down the nose at like genre fiction, comics, science fiction, and this is kind of endemic to, you know, society at large. But also, like, definitely, if you are like coming from a space of oppression and you want to try to like, you know, become, you know, accepted in a particular space, you emulate what the what the societal norms are, right? So if you look at something like the Harlem Renaissance, you know why aren't there like why weren't there like cartoonists working in the Harlem Renaissance or like comic book artists working in the Harlem Renaissance, that kind of thing. Everybody wanted to be poets and painters and things of that nature because artistic uh prowess is like an intellectual uh practice, right? And so, you know, these things are considered low, you know. So we're just getting to the point, you know, where like graphic novels and comics in society and American society at large are still being are still growing. Like there's not really like an Amer like a a um adult uh comics industry really you know it's kind of hit or miss you know it's, it's still like very relegated to kids and stuff like that so i think that this is a good step forward to kind of start looking at like more genre uh like kevin was saying but also looking at the medium of comics as being just as adept at telling any kind of story you know and that's what we need to get to because people still um really think of comics as just being for like funny animal stories and superheroes which are great i love those <laughs> but also you know it's good for like horror and literature and other literate spaces um also great for like you know autobiographical comics things of that nature so we need to actually like broaden the playing field and i think that this is a a really powerful step forward and not just like african-american you know creativity in this space but also just the comics medium as a very a viable space to tell a story Alvern, will you add to that, especially considering um, with the story that you adapted, you know, we, this does have these elements of of fantasy as as I kind of interpreted. It seems like we have this kind of folk horror thing. And, and that has not typically been associated with black creators in a black community. It doesn't mean that it shouldn't be, but it's not, you know, stereotypically associated with that. So add to that. Yeah, I think um, Kevin hit it on right on the nose is that um as African-American creators, especially writers, um, we don't get the same accessibility or the, or the, the permission to, to write in, um, in genre. Um, we usually have to write about literature and, and, and the effects of, 
um, how the world bears down on us, you know. Um, but when we're in genre, we get to open up the doors to to that creativity, you know, and we get the we get the sail to new worlds, you know. We get to create new characters and new and new worlds where, um, as John was saying, the idea of our um, of our race is 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 it's a second, you know, it's a second thought. It doesn't become the primary of what we do. Um, so I think um, in 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 all these stories, we're we're looking. It's, it's, it says the black horror anthology. It's really at, at 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 the grain of everything. It's a horror anthology, you know, just done by African American creators, or black creators, and and in doing so, um, anthology. I think, like John said, it, we get to a point where it's no longer a first, you know. And then it becomes part of the 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 zygote of um, of society that we're just creators creating the same content that anybody else is creating, you know. And hopefully, um, as we progress and do more of these books and more of these stories, um, slowly but surely, black begins to fade, and then shook just becomes what it is, you know, a horror anthology, you know. Yeah, most certainly, and and that is. Yeah, it, it, it's not as if you read this book and you think, oh, this is the Black Horror Anthology. It's it, it, That should almost, as important as that is, it also shouldn't be important. It's just a book of good stories. Um, that said, like, you know, Marcus Bradley, I'm I'm curious, like, now that you, you have this thing, you have this book, this tome that you can, like, set down on a desk of either a producer or a studio executive or whatever it might be. Have, have you gotten any kind of that initial response from those kind of people that are green lighting things? Have you gotten that response of like, oh, okay, this, this exists. This is something that I need to take a look at and be paying attention to. Uh, Marcus, do you want to go first on that? I <clears throat> Yeah, I'll go first. Uh, yeah, we have gotten positive responses from it. Um, it is a first, and also, you know, as it's being acknowledged, it, it represents something within the culture itself that we are, we are, we aren't just about the stereotypical oppressive literature that you find written by a lot of people that we are, as we say, we are horror writers that tell horror stories. Uh, it's been labeled Southern Gothic uh, because mainly Bradley, myself and John all originate from the South and our stories have that, that feel to them. As a Bradley would say, you're going to see cornfields and you're going to see farms and farm animals. But yeah, we've had uh, we've had positive responses, and we've had people express interest. So you know, it's one of those things where you just see where it goes. Bradley, do you want to add to that? Yeah, I mean, um, like Marcus said, the responses have been great so far. Um, we have had a couple of people interested in it but um not to the point where i still like want the book come out 
people start getting them in their head, start reading stories. And I personally feel that we get a whole lot more um, positive reviews, positive responses to it. Um, but, you know, as of right now, it's kind of like I always tell tell Marcus, you know, this, this is the, the calm before the storm. And we're still in that calm part. Well, when you have your your volume one, you still, you know, it's like I said, I think 12 stories, 190 pages. You still have to make some tough decisions. Is there any, are there any stories that you looked at that you would have loved to include in volume one, but now you're kind of holding that one aside to include in the, the next volume, anything you can tease out that didn't quite make it to the first one? Uh, well, I mean, Tasty Part Two. Uh, I've actually written a script for it already. Um, it's gonna go a little bit deeper than what the first did, the first part did. Um, uh, and Eva Lives um, Volume Two. Um, we actually find out that the psychiatrist who was questioning the serial killer. Um, plays a bigger a bigger role in that story. Um, she actually didn't die. I'm going to throw that out there to you. She actually didn't die, but she does have lasting effects from her attack from the first part. Well, based on that monster that we saw, I could understand based why that would leave some lasting effects. Lasting effects. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, Mark, is there anything you want to add to that? Is there any like other stories that you kind of wanted to fit into the first one? Maybe just set aside and we'll be, you know, including from other creators for the next round. Well, um, as Bradley said previously, we do plan on continuing the, the book as long as we can. So we have future volumes planned. Uh, I, as the collection editor, project lead, I encourage serialization of stories. So uh, I do have a couple of people whose names I won't mention right now, but are working on stories that will go in multiple volumes just so you know, they can get it out of the way. Uh, we plan on, look, one thing about this volume, if uh, to acknowledge what would be, I guess, the main criticism, uh, this is all men. And it wasn't so much planned out this way. It, it's like you start asking friends and you come upon a number, a number of people that you want. And we hit the number and we were like, wait a minute. And uh, John pointed this out. He's like, okay, where's the ladies? There's no ladies in the house. So that's why we came up with the with volume two. Volume two is all women. It's all black women in the volume, entitled Songs of the Dark Sides. So with volume three, uh, not only is it going to be co-ed, but uh, as Al Vern alluded to, and as you see with the, the title of the second volume, you know, we don't okay i think i think we froze on marcus there but um we'll come back what to what marcus was saying was with, um, 
Wait, hold on. Time out for a second. See if he is catching up. Okay, you're back. So pick up that that thought. Um, You were saying about uh, co-ed, the second volume be all women, co-ed would be third, and then um, pick it up from there is where I lost you. Okay, Uh, third volume would be co-ed. And uh, as Alvern alluded to, uh, we're we don't have to say a black horror anthology. Uh, these the horror anthology is good enough. It's more than good enough. Uh, there was a certain charm coming up with the first one. Shook a black horror anthology. I mean, it, it just rolled off the tongue so well that this is what we named it, and this is the name that it, it carries. But uh, like John, John mentioned, the normalization of black creators, black writers in the horror genre. Yeah. And that's where we see this book. That's what we see this book as pretty much introducing. Like, you know, we got black creators that do horror comics, uh, black, uh, black writers, prose writers, novelists, they're well established. But in the comic book universe, I mean, uh, there are a couple of people that I can name right off the top of my head. But then after that, you know, you dig deep in into the independent line. So just bringing more black writers and creators into the mainstream, into the forefront to let everybody know that we're here and introducing them in, in a book such as this. Yeah. And the, Honestly, like each each of you guys are very accomplished, very well established, and man, this kind of platform would be so great to open those doors to you know younger, unproven people and giving them a shot to like launch their story and maybe even kick off that franchise or or their their ongoing monthly title or whatever it might be. After that, is that would that be something that you would be interested in? Essentially, like shook as not a trade paperback. Uh, that comes out in volumes, but almost like an imprint where you could just kind of keep it going outside of the anthology format. That's what Mississippi Zombie and Harvest of Horrors are. Uh, and Bradley can speak on this better about the creation of those particular anthologies. Yeah, um, with um, getting uh, to deal with um, Caliber Comics, uh, Mississippi Zombie, I originally envisioned it as a, a platform for um black creators to come in and um tell their stories and get their names out there into the mainstream with you know with books like Marvel and DC and Image and whatnot. Um at the time, you know, um I'm just be, be, be blunt, not a lot of black people wanted to tell horror stories. So it kind of drifted to um the white mostly white uh, until recently until it issue two and three um and so the first two issues me and marcus were the only black people that actually started know with doing um stories for the books so yeah it, it's definitely mississippi zombie is definitely a book for creators who are just now you know who's trying to get the name out there trying to get a foothold in the industry to get in and um get their work seen you know 
Same thing with Harvest the Hog. Um, those of all, those are our, as I tell Mark, is our um, platform books for people, so we can see who has really who 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 have like certain talents that we wanted to put on some of our main titles. But it, it, it expanded beyond that. And so we just use those for like a little platform for people to get their footholds in the industry. Um, that's kind of like what I'm, we're hoping for sure. Pretty much. Well, before I let you guys go, I'm, you know, I don't know if, if you picked up on this, but I, I do love scary stories and very much part of my job is, is looking for scary things out there in the world that go bump in the night. And I was curious especially because a handful of you came from the South like me, but I was curious, any cool legends, ghost stories, creepy house at the end of the block that any of you grew up with that you could kind of share with me right now? Any stories <laughs> like that? Anybody got one that yeah. comes to mind? Bradley, you want to go first? Yeah, I mean, I currently live beside a cemetery. Like, literally, I can go outside walk about 50 yards and I'm like in a cemetery. There's plenty of stories that I have here at the house where my, my dad says that, you know, he be out feeding, you know, feeding cows and whatnot. And he actually see spirits, see dark shadows walking around the farm. It, it doesn't bother him. It, it doesn't spook him or anything like that because with him been doing that for so long, that's what he's used to. Um, me personally, I've seen a few, a few things personally that I couldn't explain, but I just shrug it off, you know. I mean, that's how we do down here in Mississippi. You know, we see, see things, you shrug it off, keep going, you know. <laughs> I, I appreciate uh, your ability just to shrug it off because, I don't know, when I see crazy stuff. Uh, just don't stick a... around long, you know what I'm saying? If you see it over there, you go over there. <laughs> don't stick around. Uh, how about you, Alvern? Um, I'm from Chicago, and um, me and my cousins, we literally grew up. I grew up with them, and and where they're from, um, Candyman is real, and that'll be the first and last time you'll hear me say his name. Um, I totally believe in him to the fullest, and uh, I will not be saying his name again. <laughs> Wait, what was that, Alvern? I didn't, I didn't catch that. Who's real? Uh, I'm sorry. I missed his name. <laughs> You also okay. like I I mean the the stories of Candy uh that guy uh, yeah, yeah that guy. that's one thing you also have like Resurrection Mary down down there which is one of the oldest yes. American ghost stories really or or longest lasting ones too uh, <laughs> but she seems less scary but than the other guy <laughs> yeah um I guess if you can't say his name you just say Macbeth because that's only bad luck if you're here um. How about how about you, Kevin? Any um, ghost stories, legends, urban legends, anything that you grew up with? Okay. Nothing. I can't hear you. Went, uh, I think you, we lost you, Kevin. Are you muted? Yeah. Oh, there, there you are. Okay. Yeah. No. Uh, no horror stories or supernatural things. Other, if you want to talk about. Uh, Holy Spirit, we can talk about that, but you know, you know what? I'm, I'm totally okay with that too. Uh, but, <laughs> yeah, 
monstrous or spooky, you know. I have um, my own views on some of that stuff that might not jive with most people's, but, you know, that's just me. Do you want to share that? I mean, I'm, I'm interested. <laughs> well, I don't believe, I, I believe in, in, uh, in demons. I don't know if I believe in, I don't believe in ghosts. You know what I'm saying? So well, I believe. Well, the thing is, you know, demons are spiritual beings, uh-huh. but, you know, according to the Bible, and that's my um, truth and authority there, um, for everyone that's appointed to die once, after that, the judgment. So after you die, you're going to go to your eternal destination, you know, uh, if you've accepted Christ and uh, you believe the gospel and repented, absent from the body, present with the Lord. If not, there's the other place. Now, demons can manifest themselves as different things. That I do believe. But have I seen that? No. But I do believe that happens. And I, you know, it's interesting. I respect that that viewpoint yeah. because it's certainly something that members of my family and folks out there that I've interacted with, it's either it's of God or of it's of something else, you know? And so you get one or the other. Uh, but you know, lots of weird stuff happening out there. I respect that, that viewpoint. Um, John, I'm going to still push you on, on this, any ghost stories, urban legends, creepy stories, uh, any lights in the sky, Sasquatch in the woods, anything like that. Sasquatch in the woods. That's interesting. Um, or I Sasquatch mean, in your neighborhood. I don't know. He uh, I mean, there's no Sasquatch. Branching out. We might have some wild burros actually out here in Riverside right now. <laughs> yeah. Wild donkeys. Um, so, like I said, I grew up like in, in the cut. Like I grew up in the sticks, in the woods, you know, and mm-hmm. surrounded by sounds and, you know, things that are out there <laughs> that could get you. I mean, so, so my, like I said, yeah. I saw, I grew up like you know, with my um my mom is telling me like you know we're watching all these horror stuff things but my grandmother you know who I believe actually probably was a root worker probably practiced conjure not not thinking about like you know uh some of the things that she would say you know these belief structures that she had so she would talk about like spooks and hates and things that are like otherworldly that were you know in the woods and you know, interacted with, you know, with us and that kind of thing. So I grew up with a lot of different, like, I guess some people call them superstitions or what have you, you know, like for instance, uh, the idea that when someone passes, you cover a mirror, for instance, because, you know, the spirit could get caught in a, a mirror, you know, so these, these, uh, these ideas are something I grew up with, uh, because of my grandmother, my grandfather, you know, cause I was raised by them. And, um, it's definitely like permeated a lot of my writing as far as like, cause I was just, just looking at like, um, you know, Southern Gothic, you know, practices uh, that are very African in nature. You know, the other thing that I thought was, um, you know, that my grandmother probably, I don't know if she's probably like descended from the Gullah people, but you know, the, the Gullah folk from the, you know, what they call Geechee people from like the sea islands, actually, I'm working on a story right now that actually is set in the sea islands. And, borrowing from some of the folklore that's coming out of the Gullah folks uh, kind of like repertoire, you know, but yeah, so that's kind of like what I came up with. So a lot of times I would get interested in reading ghost stories and stuff so I could disprove what my grandmother was saying. I was like, that doesn't sound true. And I'll go and read up on it. You know, I'm like, this is what I've found out, you know, that kind of thing. But uh, yeah, (laughs) so that's. It's so fascinating to me because 
you know, outside of the, the you know, shook in these these horror stories um, of of fiction. There's so much folklore from African American communities that sadly it just it's like I know it's out there, and this is just kind of me. Like I want to hear those stories, but it's not my story to tell, but you like, you want those stories documented and shared because kind of belief sometimes is, is secondary to, to the importance of the stories just to share those. But unfortunately there's this history of like people coming around and saying, Hey, we want to hear your stories and we're going to tell them and instead are co-opted and um, you know, uh, and used as a, as a a way to you know misrepresent people so that's the sad part of it but man there's so much folklore out there that i just wish um was being shared uh so john i would love to hear more uh you know about your your grandmother and the story she would tell at some point keep me posted on um yeah, i'm gonna but, say too i mean those stories not to you know I, a lot <clears> of it has <throat> been documented and collected by you know african-american scholars and you know folklorists and stuff particularly people like zora neale hurston and you know, um, uh, Henry Lewis Gates Jr. Yep. You know, that, uh, but also too, there's a, a whole bunch of research on these different cultural belief structures in 19, I guess it'd be like in 1920s, right? Uh, 1930s, when they would do like these, uh, when people would actually go to, you know, these rural spaces and mm -hmm. people, former slaves would talk about um, what was happening on the plantations and things of that nature, but also these cultural beliefs that came over you know, on, on the slave ships, you know, stuff like that. So it's, it's out there, you know? Yeah. Just... And, and it was, so, I mean, growing up in central Florida, I grew up pretty much um, around a lot of the uh, near Sanford or Neil, Neil Hurston. Um, so grew up with her, her story is very much told in, in my childhood household. And there is so much folklore that has been documented. It still feels like there's more to tell and also sort of, the story is the modern folklore that's emerging out of communities. Just something that I I always love to hear more of, and almost just wish there was more representation out there in the mainstream media about it. Um, but uh, and sorry, I, I went on a little bit of a tangent there. But Marcus, how about you, man? Is there any stories from when you you were growing up, or even any urban legends, any creepy ghost stories, anything that you know? Well, uh, first. I'm going to say I live in central Florida now here and I stay in Lakeland. And uh, I actually am slated to be attending the Zora, Zora Neale Hurston festival in two weeks or next weekend, not this coming weekend, but the weekend after. But I'm originally from a small town in Georgia and uh, on the street that I grew up on, there were two churches, two funeral homes, and two graveyards. And the county itself, I guess the biggest urban legend is uh, there's a house that stands in the county called the Goodall House. And the story of the Goodall House goes that this preacher came through the town of Jacksonboro and the townspeople threw him out of town roughed them up, threw them out of town. And there was a bridge in this big creek that they forced them to go across. And the preacher dust the dirt from the town off his feet. And the Goodall family took him in and let him spend the night. 
but the preacher cursed the town. And to this day, there is not one shred of anything left of that town. The creek is dried. You can't even find a nail. The only thing that's standing is the good old, because the good old family showed the preacher kindness. I love so that. I, I grew up with that story. I've gone out to that property. That That's like a school field trip. We go out there to what's known as the old Jacksonville, Georgia, because it's not there. Nothing, not a board, not a nail. I mean, not, the creek is like, as I said, the creek is dried up. And the only thing standing, it's a good old house. I, I need to, I, I need to kind of um, go back through my memory files because it like rings a bell on some level. I like, I grew up in Orlando, but I did a stint in uh, Tifton, Georgia for a bit of time. Okay. So uh, I think I need to I need to go back through my memory banks because that kind of rings a bell. That's really fascinating, and that's really cool that you're doing the uh, Zora Neale Hurston um, festival coming up. Uh, and I'll have to look you up down in Central Florida at some point. But uh, gentlemen, last question. I'll let you all go. I appreciate your time very much. But just around uh, around the the table here, let people know how to follow you, how to support your work, and uh, just keep up with everything you do, Marcus. Uh, you can find me at secondsightpublishing.com, uh, on Facebook at Second Sight Publishing, and be on the lookout and previews next month for Harvest of Horror Volume 3, as well as uh, ship being released January 31st. All right. Marcus H. Roberts, thank you very much. Uh, John Jennings. Um, you can go to my website, uh, which is John Jennings Studio dot com and i'm also on instagram at uh john jennings art uh as well and those are good places to find out uh what i'm up to and you can contact me through my my website and uh yeah th those are great places to to catch up what i'm up to i'm working on num a, a number of projects right now including um trying to finish up parable of the talents to, with, with, with dr damian duffy and then writing a new horror mini mini series uh with vault right now too so that's that's really cool all right. And Kevin. Uh, you can find me on social media, you know, uh, Twitter, Facebook, uh, Instagram, uh, threads. Uh, I'm also on my website, darkstormcomics.com. Uh, All right. Kevin Greaves, thank you so much. And Alvern Hall. Ball. Sorry. Uh, yeah. Alvern Ball. You can find me on every social media platform or you can go to my website, alverndball.com. Right on. And Bradley Golden. Uh, you can find me at um, secondsidepubsheen.com, secondsidepubsheen on Facebook, um, Bradley Golden on Facebook. You can find me at secondsidepub on Twitter. Um, you can find me uh, at, on, at LinkedIn. You can find me over under at Instagram at Bradley Golden 6. All right. And the book is Shook, a black horror anthology by dark horse comics and second sight publishing llc and it is available january 31st i'm aaron sagers and this has been talking strange and until next time be kind stay spooky and keep it weird 
Talking Strange is a part of the Den of Geek Network, available wherever you listen to other podcasts. If you like what we're doing, share Talking Strange with your friends and fellow spooky nerds. And please, subscribe, rate, and leave a nice review. If you have a strange or paranormal story you would like to share with us, please email talkingstrange at denofgeek.com for a chance to have it read on a future episode. For video episodes of Talking Strange, check out twitch.tv slash denofgeektv and youtube.com slash denofgeekus. And please follow at TalkStrangePod on Twitter and at Aaron Sagers on Twitter, Instagram, and Patreon for more paranormal pop culture content. Mm-hmm.